0: the impact on smaller businesses, on mid businesses, to to keep up with this now kind of onslaught of being assessed now constantly kind of by everyone that they want to continue to do business with. Hey everybody, welcome back. Brian Hoagley here with Side Channel. Very excited again to have another guest with us on CISO Life, Yaron Levy. He is the CISO at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Kansas and he joins me here today uh from kansas so like you're at home just like everybody else so how's it going Aaron? thank you for coming on good.
1: yeah thank you good morning brian uh, yeah like everybody else this is i think week 11 for me uh working from home uh, because i came back from rsa i was in the office for a week and then the news came out that the two gentlemen um were tested positive so i was asked to hey just stay home. So I started probably working from home a week before everybody else.
0: You know, just at a high level, you know, coming from an enterprise level, right. And, and view as such as yourself, you know, maybe what's like one or two kind of key things you want to see that mid-market and those small businesses start embracing that they can actually do.
1: Yeah. So I think the first thing is, um, really understanding, uh, and having this clear understanding of what generates the most value for your business. And then as you understand that, how do you tie your risk, your risk appetite to that? So obviously, I mean, you know, as, as business owners, um, I used to be one of them in the past. Um, there are all of things that we have on our mind, right? And there are a lot of pressures and, you know, from sales, from marketing and you know, regulations, you know, and so on and so forth. Uh, but but really, when you think about how to approach what you're trying to do, when you think about how to approach, you know, security, privacy, whatever mm-hmm. um, regulations you have, You really need to understand how does that impact your value creation, right? And and at the end of the day, don't do things just for the sake of, well, we do it because it's the best practice. You you need to really think about the context of your business and how it ties back or how this practice ties back to what you're trying to do and accomplish. Right. Um, Like anything else, it's just another form of business risk and uh, a way for any business owner to make those Tough decisions um, because again, it's a balancing act like anything else, but really looking at your business value and tie it back to your risk.
2: Yeah.
0: So, you know, one thing that, you know, we've seen a lot of, you know, as a CISO for a larger organization, you know, we're constantly kind of looking at the vendor space, right? Like who's who's in that space, you know, not, not, not for like, I need security products vendors, more of like, regular business operations supporting my business right we rely on vendors on third parties and there's a lot of focus on third-party vendor risk assessments just third-party risk you know we've seen the catalyst just either being regulation saying you need to look at it or because a a significant number of of breaches happen or attributed to you know vendor had access and you know piggybacked in and and use that as their pathway so a lot of CISOs are, are embracing building out programs to assess their vendors. And there's a lot of different interesting ways, I think some good, some bad, on how to do that. Um, but one area that I have seen is the, the impact on smaller businesses, on mid-businesses, to, to keep up with this now kind of onslaught of being assessed now constantly kind of by everyone that they want to continue to do business with. There seems to be a disconnect between who's getting assessed and who's doing the assessing. So, what are you looking for when you're assessing those smaller vendors? What's your goal?
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm probably gonna go a little bit on my soapbox here, and um, that's okay. uh, You know, uh, kind of a quick disclaimer because you know everything I'm gonna express is my my own personal opinion. I mean, they do not represent my employer. Right. So, I mean, I I want to you know say that first. I, I think, you know, when we step back and, and we look at um, the dynamics of the market and the dynamics of our industry and, and how um, with the whole digital transformation, how things are changing for us. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, when I started to um, take my first steps with cloud back in 2009, 10 timeframe, you know, so 10 years ago. Right. I remember a conversation where people were saying, oh, we're never going to work to the cloud. You know, it was secure. I mean, we have no control. I mean, you know, we, we just can't do it, right? Hmm. And 10 years later, now you're looking back, everybody like, we have to move to the cloud. You know, we have this kind of cloud first mentality. We have to change. We have to shift. We have to move. And in addition to that, I mean, there's a lot of new businesses, ventures, and great ideas that were born only in the cloud, right? Right. So, on one hand, we created a new way of offering, you know, solution businesses, value. Um, on the other hand you know we are giving up control or we gave up control and now when you're sitting from an enterprise perspective or from a company perspective you're trying to assess and say okay again going back to risk how do i know i'm i'm using yeah. some service right and i'm and i'm supposed to trust a third party that i don't have any control over so how do i know that how do i assess and how do i get that comfort level that um, they're actually doing what they're saying they're doing,
2: right?
1: Mm-hmm. Especially from security and privacy perspective, and I think one of the big challenges there is kind of, as like I said, twofold. One is um, we, on the consumer side of those services, are trying to find out as much as we can, so we can get that we can get that feeling and, and, and warm feeling that okay, yeah, we're doing the right thing. I think unfortunately what I've seen from the other side is that a lot of the vendors providers uh, are trying to hide as much as they can hmm. um, you know and and this is some disconnect right I mean there's, and there right. is a dance right and you see that dance in in legal language you see that dance in, in uh, um, you know in contracts and agreements um, you see some very vague language of like okay click here you agree to do all of these the still read what they're agreeing
2: to. Right.
1: And, you know, We're all getting to this like we are covered legally, but really, I mean, did we really step in and look deep and really understand the risk and what we are getting ourselves into? Right. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is from a consumer side, right? From a cloud consumer or from, from the consumer side um, of, of those services, once I sign up and, and now I either use these services or provide the service to somebody else, right? If there was a problem, there was a breach, there was any issue on that service, cloud service I'm using, my clients, my members, everybody else who is using my services, they don't care. Mm. They don't know. I mean, they couldn't care less that I'm using, you know, a third party or fourth party or whoever like the complex right. network behind it.
2: They they don't have care. the service,
1: it's my responsibility, right? Right. So I can't quote unquote outsource my problems and outsource my accountability. Mm-hmm. if I shift, you know, my services to the cloud for you know better performance, costs, whatever I mean, the case may be, the one thing I can never shift to anybody is my accountability. Right. And I think that's the other thing that you know the businesses need to understand and keep in mind that yes. You're always gonna be held accountable no matter what. And yes there are benefits I mean, to uh, um, you know going to cloud, using those third party services. Um, I will never advocate against those because I you know I think we should leverage you know the best of them as much as we can.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: at the same time, keep in mind that it's gonna be a challenge. It's gonna be a challenge I mean to figure out what they have, what they do, um, do they do what they say they will do and how you do that continuously. It'll just be you a know, point
0: in time. Yeah, continuous monitoring is a is a big concept within the DoD that they're really trying to push for, and and obviously I think we're seeing a lot of adoption inside of corporate America on how do we just continuously look at our vendor space and who's supplying, you know, services to us, and and are they meeting the expectations? It's interesting you mentioned the contracting component because there's a there is a big push for vendors to or for companies to assess their vendors and start that in the contracting process. Like that should be one of the first things that you do, right? Like yeah. I'm I'm a company, I need, you know, Bob's accounting or whatever to help me, and I need to assess them to make sure that they're storing my accounting data and, you know, all of our company data appropriately. I want to make sure they're one at the onset of the relationship they're meeting my expectations and I set my expectations and that needs to be inside of your contracts, right? So that needs to be clearly spelled out. What's really interesting and I've seen is that contracting folks are not security people, right? Right. So they don't, they don't know how to necessarily ask the right questions. They're legal, right? Or they're just contracting professionals and they may have a legal background. Um, So I've seen, and I've stood up, you know, Capabilities where you've embedded security questions, embedded the security asks into that contracting, empowered the contracting team to do it, but then basically had the security team be a service provider or a kind of a, a back end, you know, a tier two, tier three of, you know, backstop to the contracting folk when the real hard questions come out. Yeah. Well, what's kind of like, and I think more folks are building those types of programs at the larger organizations to assess their clients. What I find interesting is is the inverse. Now you've got the contract that's sent out. The questions are being asked, and that flows down to the cl- to the actual vendor. The vendor now has this question or this questionnaire or this assessment in front of them. Well, I think as and I wrongfully did this myself when I was a CISO, I honestly somehow believed that I was the only person asking this vendor a set of questions. I was not. Yeah. <laughs> you come to find out. There are, there are, everybody is now doing this. So now that vendor who's probably a much smaller organization has 10 or 20 or 50 of these things. And these questions, because as CISOs, you and I want to make, like you said, the accountability. I'm accountable for the services I'm actually using from you because my customers are expecting something from me. So I want to make sure that my stuff's buttoned up. So I might ask you a set of questions and I've seen some stuff that goes between 50 and a thousand questions that are given to vendors or to, you know, to the vendor through this process. Well now, like multiply that by how many companies are asking that. Right. It's inundating the small to mid-market space with like everyone's just getting questions and questions and and asked and asked, and they don't know how to kind of stay on top of it, but they need that business because that's a revenue line to them. So they need to maintain it. So they're gonna do anything they can to answer all those questions. And what's interesting to your point was they say they're doing things because they want to maintain the revenue line. So they're, they're, they're pleading. Yep. We're compliant because you asked me if we are, but are they like, can we help them be better doing that? Or are we, or are we even asking the right questions that we actually need to do? Or are we just kind of throwing the kitchen sink, right? As CISOs at smaller vendors to just make sure we're kind of covered. So like when you're looking at assessing those vendors, you know, what's your view on that balance? Are you taking that into account? Like, what that vendor might be going through or what, how are you coming up with those questions and how do you structure those questions to ask vendors?
1: So in our case, we are trying to not reinvent the wheel and try to go with standard questions, um, or start questionnaires as much as we can, where mm-hmm. uh, it makes sense, right? So for example, um, if you're a cloud provider, or if you are, you know, positioning yourself as a cloud provider, SaaS provider or whatnot, um, we would use something like you know the Cloud Security Alliance CAIQ, yeah. Yep. So something standard that you know you you don't have to reinvent the wheel.
0: Right. Great tool by uh, the way, CSA and and that whole platform. I mean that's a that's a quick win on on just getting like probably a majority of questions out of the way of what you're asking. Like I'm a big fan of sorry to cut you off. Like I'm a big fan of AWS's transparency page. On that, like no one sends AWS or Amazon a questionnaire. You go to their
1: transparency page. I think you, you you hit the nail on the head, right? It's that transparency, right? I think again, going back to what we said before, there is a dance, right? We are trying, we are trying to do, you know, from CISO's perspective, from the consumer perspective, mm-hmm. we are trying to do our proper due diligence, and we want to go and advise our leadership about, you know, the risk that the company is taking on, and you know whether they should accept or not accept that risk. But on the other hand, I mean, oftentimes. Than, than not, you see that the vendors will try to hide as much as they can. Yeah. Right? And if you don't ask the right questions, uh, you actually may set yourself to, to a big trouble. So I think if more and more organizations, I know it's not easy, but if more and more organizations are going to adopt that transparency like like an AWS like somebody else,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think that will probably help uh, the industry overall. And And it's a matter of, you know, whether you're being proactive or reactive about it, right? Right. Uh, maybe a third party will decide one day. You know what? Look, we are getting way too many questions. Forget about it. We just going to put the whole thing in one place and just share it transparently to everybody. Um, and if they're actually doing what they're if they're if they're putting you know the money where their mouth is, that should not be a problem. Right. Right. It's, it's going to benefit them, not hurt them. Right. Yep. I always get. I always get suspicious where you ask a third party a question. They say, well, we can't tell you that it's proprietary. Well, help me understand, like, you know, why, right? Right. I'm not asking you to reveal your secret sauce, but with all due respect, security in many cases is probably not part of your secret
2: sauce.
1: Right. If you're using like, you know, some, I don't know, proprietary encryption algorithm that you developed, Oh God, I I want to run away. I I don't want to use something
0: like that. that, That's not something like as a CISO, like I would want to ask that. Like the questions I would want to ask as a CISO should be control level questions. Like I'm, everyone knows I'm a big fan of NIST CSF. So like I should be asking questions that are at that control level. Like, do you use encryption end to end for the services that you provide to us? And is it, does it meet, you know, FIPS 140, right? Require, like that should be the depth at which I ask a question and expect a reasonable answer that should give me comfort because at the end of the day that's what vendor assessment's really kind of come down to is is the CISO who's asking the questions comfortable with what they're hearing to then factor into the risk equation if i'm asking about like you know what what specific rsa algorithm bit 20 like n- nobody like that does that give you any more like like comfort versus if they're like we use sha sha2 like Okay, well, that's a bad example because you shouldn't be hearing that. But like, you want to hear the control level answer, not like the specifics. And to your point, like, if it's proprietary to you, great. Like, is that actually going to give me any more comfort if I know that depth? Probably not. So you're right. Like, if you're hearing the, oh, we don't want to tell you, you really got to be like, well, was I asking the right question? And if I was right. asking the right question, why don't you want to tell me a control level thing? Like, that seems, that seems like that well, should be on the surface. I think,
1: you know, I, I always try to draw in my head either a pilot to a different industry hmm. or think about it are we so new and special? <laughs> or, and so we need to reinvent the wheel or is there a better example or a similar example from somewhere else that we can learn from, right? Right. I, I think to be fair, um, we, we as a cybersecurity, we're a fairly, uh, let's call it, young practice or young profession. We've only came to mind maybe in the last 15, maybe 20 years. Not to say it wasn't there before, right? but really the maturity of it really kind of came from the onset of the Internet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that we, we don't have, you know, 100 years or 200 years of kind of more practice that we got to refine. Having said that, um, I don't think necessarily that we need to reinvent the wheel. I mean, like for example, if you now you go and you buy a car, and I don't care if you buy like a Mercedes or you're buying, you know, uh, I don't know if there's a Yugo anymore. I know there was like a bad, crappy Yugo car way back when.
0: (laughs) Right. You
1: get other, you know, one right. Um, You don't send. I mean, the dealership a questionnaire and say, "Hey, do you guys have brakes in the car? Do you guys have a steering wheel? Right? Do you have like an airbag? I mean." No, I mean, there are some set of expectations Mm -hmm. that you have out of the gate that there are basic things or some things that are coming no matter what. Right. We're going to check, okay, do they have tires or do they don't have tires, right?
2: Yeah. Standards.
1: That's part of the, we don't have a standard, a good standard yet that we all agreed on and and maybe in some cases regulated. Right. If you're providing a service, if you're providing a software, these are a set of things that you have to have no matter what. Mm-hmm. Now, we can argue later whether you know you have Michelin tires or double tires, right? Or whatever. That's okay. That's your, you know, other, uh, um, you know, preference or whatever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But you have tires, right? You have brakes, right? I mean, you, you have an anti brake system. Okay. I mean, we need to agree on that first. I think we need to get to the same yeah. um, when it comes to security.
0: St- standard, standard. Standard am you know, no one likes regulation, but it actually makes it easier. So like if you're, you know, um, financial services kind of went through this when New York State came out with DFS part 500, which was, I think, a really good thing for financial services and the insurance uh, space because y- you should be able to essentially break down. If you know a vendor is working or, or held to that standard, you know what that standard is. So you could just literally ask, are you compliant with or do you meet the New York State DFS part 500 and if they come back and say yes you suddenly actually could answer you now know all the controls that they are basically adhering to and you should be able to make that a quick win and a quick assessment and then move on you probably don't need to go into then repeat basically all the different controls that are inside of that which a lot map to NIST and just say like are you doing this and this and this and this it's like no if they said that they're they're good with the parent everything else is inherited underneath it as a, as a yes, right? That's like, I don't know, to me, that seems like, where can we find those? That only that, but that works well for financial services, institutions that fall underneath the New York state law. We don't have that at a national level, right? We, we probably do. And we need some kind of level of adherence to, do I do this right? The U S doesn't have that Europe has that globe has that through ISO. Cause you can get certified that can become a, yes, I'm ISO certified, here's my certificate. The US doesn't have one and US-based companies aren't as, at least I've seen, are not as like jumping up and down to like go get an ISO certification. So like a national or a regulated um, component or standard would be really beneficial, I think for all of us to to solve that issue.
1: And I think there is, um, uh, there's an opportunity here on Mm -hmm. the community Um, to work and and proactively work and educate lawmakers and potentially, you know, maybe help consolidate some of those laws and regulations. And and I know, I mean, it's different in the U.S. compared to other countries and every state by design. I mean, you know, they have their own separate laws and regulations and rules or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, But but the reality is that, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, many of the states are kind of copying from each other. I mean, people don't want to reinvent the wheel every time, right? right? So we're probably not going to have, like, you know, 50 different wheels, but if we would have been more proactive about it and work with lawmakers um, to um, really try to come up with something that is more standard and makes sense, Mm -hmm. um, I think that will help kind of drive it. I don't know, and I don't think that I've seen a lot of that coming from out of the security community. I think there's definitely, uh, I mean, there are some initiatives, but by and large, I don't think that we've seen something very uh, robust or mature or, or, you know, Really, kind of driving that force.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, I think there's an opportunity for us there.
2: Yeah. On the flip
1: no, side, I... you know, from from the government perspective, um, we we see a lot of again different initiatives coming from you know different agencies, um, you know, at the federal level. Um, but we don't have, you know, other than like executive orders here and there, um, you know, we don't have like a robust cybersecurity strategy such that it drives, you know, to, to everybody and, and really kind of helps shape that conversation. Right. I think probably the best one that we, we had we've seen was um, executive order 13636 that uh, was issued by President Obama and actually drove the creation of nist CSS, right? Right. Yep. So, I, so, so the model works, right? Um, the model works and can work. Mm-hmm. The question is again, how do we drive that consistency, consistency more across you know, from the top?
0: Yeah, it needs to be, it, There's, there's gotta be an adoption down. I mean, like to some degree, you know, the SEC and their waves of assessments have have adopted the NIST CSF. New York States, that DFS policy or that law that came in, that, that was mirrored and, and adopted a lot of what came out of CSF. So that was good. And then we saw the other, you know, the AIA and the NAIC, creating the model law that all the other states then adopted based off of what New york was doing, and that seems to be right, but you still kind of you don't have it's piecemeal adoption right and right. it's not it's not a national type of a, a conversation. I know the DoD is doing that with um, the CMMC and and that standard within that industrial uh, uh base um, but outside of that you know the you don't have you don't have that top level you know concurrence um so yeah i i'm a not a big fan of like having big government and but standards and regulations like this work out i mean like you said for the car industry us as consumers feel better because there are standards on automobiles that we we just are like this can't be sold to me unless it has these things that makes right. me feel better as a consumer the same thing needs to happen right for cybersecurity like i as a as a vendor either selling or buying I wanna feel confident knowing that if it's in this space or underneath this you know area or sector or industry or just inside the US, it's gonna have these things. You know, I'm gonna feel better about it. There's a, a standard yeah. now. Yeah, it's- Yeah, and,
1: and, and I think there's another aspect to that again, just to keep some things in proportions. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a matter of time, right? If you think about right. the acceleration and you think about how long it took us as consumers to adopt cars, and for cars to get to a mass penetration of a market, right, it took 100 years, right. If you think about new technology right. in this day and age, and how long it takes that I mean, to adopt, and sometimes even to fall, hmm. I mean, it's it's sometimes less than two years. I mean, you know, all of a sudden, people talk about blockchain and AI. I mean, we didn't talk about blockchain and AI two years ago. And all of a sudden, I mean, we have to be experts and we have to be, you know, have a robust control and robust security practice around AI and blockchain to do some things that like, how how do we get there, right?
0: Yeah. I think to your your point, how can the cybersecurity community, the folks who are the experts, help empower, enable, support lawmakers who are ultimately gonna create the right regulations and laws that we wanna see Um, you know, or are we just, is it lobbyists and lawmakers we're waiting on to do it? You know, I think there's a, I think there's a lot of folks in our community that would gladly volunteer and have volunteered to help support initiatives like that. But at the same time, you need, you know, congressmen and women to stand there and go, this isn't my expertise. Let me bring in some experts. What should this look like? How should this be built out? Right. And then go that route. And then everyone, you know, everyone benefits.
1: Yep. And I think part of it is also the reactive nature of of these dynamics, right? Because Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes when you see a regulation, unfortunately, uh, it's never proactive. Usually it's some kind of an emergency reaction to some panic or something that happened, right? right? Um, And when that happens, then usually those regulations are not necessarily written by security people, they're written by either lawyers or lawmakers. Mm-hmm. Right, and then you come up and you have those challenges like, okay, that sounds great, but it's not really practical, right? Right. Um, the other, the other risk that you have, or the other problem you have with that is because of those, uh, the approach of all of those regulations. I mean, they, they take. You see that all of businesses are really striving to meet the letter of the law, mm-hmm. and that's it—not beyond that. Right. right. And a lot of those regulations are are very generic, they're not prescriptive, uh, they leave a lot of room for interpretation because they're trying to appeal to the mass, you know, broader uh common denominator, if you will. Mm-hmm. And you end up with something that is not really effective.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: Right. Happens quite a bit. Um yeah. so Yaron, I wanna thank you for for being on today, taking the time. Um one day I'm going to get out to Kansas and, we're going
2: to be here and, beer, yeah,
1: and the of Kansas City. There are two blue plants. There's Kansas and Kansas City. Ah, so, oh, okay. My friend Matt in Kansas feel that I took his job. And uh, <laughs> Matt, you're good. You're still there at Seat of Kansas. I'm in Kansas City.
0: Excellent. Hey, thanks again for, uh, for coming on. Uh, always appreciate talking to you uh, and, and being part of the team. Um, this is great. Uh, hey, everyone thanks for thanks for watching uh, you know just keep your head up keep smiling go find uh something to to go be happy about outside while the weather's warm i know it is nice today here in the boston area so i'm gonna go maximize my lunch and uh go see some sunshine so take care of yourself take care of each other and we'll talk to you soon this is brian Hogley with side channel and see life thanks again <laughs>